Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Happy birthday. What? It's on my birthday. Well, it is. It's our 40th birthday. March 17th is my birthday. Oh, I'm turning 40. So are you. You're not. You're too young. This is our 40th episode. Really? 4-0. Who would have thought? What have we done with our lives? Have we ever told anyone how this podcast started? I can't remember. Did we do it in the first episode? I remember having a coffee with you downstairs in the cafe where we just kind of went, oh, I love talking about death and stuff. Yeah. And then what happened? Then we came up and Kirsten was there. Yeah. And we were thinking, how can we talk about like crime and stuff, and but differently to other had people? Asked me to do podcasts before, and I just had never done them. Mm. And then we did this, and I'm. How did I twist your little arm then? I don't know. Just worked. Mm. Just felt natural. Just clicked. Yeah, the three of us. And then, did we ever ask Kirsten if she wanted to do this? No, <laughs> uh, we have never asked her if she wanted to do it. She just always replies to weeks. our text messages and turns up. Forty weeks she's been sitting there doing it, and she hates it, and she hates she us. She might. My sister calls Kirsten the unsung hero of this podcast. And can it's Kirsten true. come in for it? Can you? Can come you still? In. She's behind the glass at the moment. Can come you come in. in and talk, Kirsten? I can turn a mic on. Is that she better? can turn a mic on. Okay, okay. Turn turn your mic on, so we can hear. It's you. on. It's on. Oh, there we are. I've Hello, Kirsten. Headphones. Hello. Okay, so did we ever ask you if you have seen a dead body? Uh I don't. I don't think you have. No. Have. Did we ever you ask you if you to wanted me. to do this podcast? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, let's start with that. So. Um, do you want to keep doing this podcast with us? Yes, okay. I do. Thank Good. You. you made her say that. You embarrassed her into it. How could she say anything I know, else? But she has the power to edit that out. So, Which one of us do you like better, Kirsten? I'm turning my mic off. No. <laughs> <laughs> she has to say me because we she work does. together she all the time. She works with you more. It's true. Um, Kirsten, have you ever seen a dead body? Um, I saw one years ago. Wow. I was quite young, like eight or ten. Oh. I don't remember. What happened um, to nine? <laughs> I could have been there? definitely wasn't nine. It was eight or ten. I can rule out nine. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and so my grandma lived in Springvale, which is, you know. Yes, um, southeast of Melbourne. Thank you. And she had a uh, plum tree that was growing in the neighbour's yard. So it wasn't really her tree, but it was the neighbour's tree and it sort of hung over the fence. You steal off it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. she'd make this killer plum jam, which we would all go oh. nuts for. And she'd send the grandkids off to climb the fence, get the plums yes. and then bring them back. I feel terrible that it's taken us 40 weeks to even ask. I know. Why? Do you feel bad? I We're feel really bitches. bad right now. I'm bitches. <laughs> I'll let the listeners like eat you both alive. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> And and what's making it worse is how lovely does Kirsten sound? Yeah, she does. She comes on the air with me sometimes. I just look at her thinking, oh, she's so full of joy and loveliness. So they're all listening now. Like you said, bitches, keeping her off, not letting her tell a story. Okay. Go on, plums. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so we we picked the plums and then as we climbed the fence this one particular day – there was like a, a lady laying underneath this plum tree. Oh, and no. me and my cousin didn't think too much of it. We were like, oh, okay, maybe she's sleeping. Having a snooze. Under Having the plum snooze. tree. Yeah, we just didn't think too much what of it. What position? Like on her back? Or? On her back, uh, yeah, she didn't look too comfortable. but <gasps> She's dead it, it almost looked like she'd like sat down and then fell back. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like a sort of, yeah. you know, like could have been sleeping. Got you. 
Um, so I didn't think too much of it. My cousin stayed over at my grandma's house that night and then went up again the next day to pick more plums and saw this woman still there. <gasps> oh, so I didn't it's know a long at the time. Snooze. It was a very long <laughs> snooze. So he went and got one of the adults, one of the grown-ups, and told them, and they were very hush-hush about it to us. They were kind of oh, like, yeah. yeah, oh, maybe she was sleeping. And then I found out years later that she was she was dead. Years later. Years later. Wow. Yeah, no one really. I didn't think. How's your childhood compared to mine? They kept that like for years from you, me, eight year old in a tea leaf picking field, just looking at dead bodies. Different world. You had a good family. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and how do you feel about plums now? Oh, they're great. I still like them. You don't associate that with The jam's still good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. And I think it's because I took so long to sort of realise, like there was sort of no reaction from me because I didn't realise in the moment. That she was dead. Yeah, I figured it out sleeping. years later and I was yeah. kind of upset that everyone lied to me about it. But I suppose death for you, like it was a gross accident or something, if the dead person was just nice and you thought they were sleeping. Yeah, she looked very intact. Like I don't, I don't know how she yeah. would have. She hadn't been mauled by magpies or anything no. at that stage. Oh, and why do they go for the eyes? They do. They always go for the eyes. <laughs> Terrible. Mm. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank, Thank you, you, Kirsten. Lovely. lovely. So, so lovely. I know. Can you believe we waited so long? Why did we? Fuckers. That's what we are. That's Nasty. so rude that we didn't do mean that. Mean girls. Um, you can't sit with us, Kirsten. I know. You can't well, sit with us. 40th episode, happy to be here. I can't believe we've done 40 episodes. Um, I'm putting my shoes back on. Do you, okay, you've taken you your shoes off. Time, yeah, you I'll go while you put your shoes on. Okay, so this story bobbed up in the UK on BBC 3's County's JVS radio show. Oh, that radio show? Yeah. Oh. I listen to it all the time. A UK couple have been refunded the cost of their five-star holiday in Jamaica mm. after Jamaica? an effigy of their dead son was created in their hotel room. That's very weird. Karen Baker asked staffed at the Royalton Jamaica Resort to decorate the room um, that her friends Faye and Andrew Stevens were staying in. The Stevens made the trip to honour their late son Alex's birthday, something they made a tradition after he died in 2014. So Miss Baker asked for a cake and some balloons to be put in the room. The staff obliged, but they went too far. Oh, no. What did they They do? arranged for a long sleeve top, a pair of trousers, sneakers and gloves on the bed. Oh, no, they, not, they didn't arrange four. They arranged a long sleeve top, a pair of trousers, sneakers and gloves on the bed and stuffed them with towels. Oh, like a scarecrow. To make the outfit no. look like a body. No. <laughs> Next to the effigy, <laughs> this gets worse. Next to the effigy were the words... <laughs> We miss you, Alex. Ridden in flower petals. So just if you if you're not across it, <laughs> this couple are going to Jamaica to honour their dead son. Yes, their friends try to do something nice, and they arrange for a cake and some balloons to be put in right. the room. Yeah, the staff take it upon themselves <laughs> to make a dummy of the dead person's son. Oh dear! And then they write, "We miss you, Alex." In flowers. If there's no picture, it never happened. The dummy's staff, well, hold that thought. The dummy's hand was clutching a beer can (gasps) while the staff arranged tears running down its face. Oh, my God. Miss Baker found the dummy before the Stevensons could see it. 
The couple were refunded their 2300 <laughs> per person holiday after Miss Baker complained about the experience on uh, the BBC radio show, saying she'd been utterly horrified. I've truly never seen anything like it, she said. I still look at the photographs now and I can't believe someone thought to do that. (laughs) A spokesperson uh, for the British-based travel operator that runs the hotel apologised to the family. They said we're following up with the hotel and believe it was a misunderstanding with no intention to cause upset. Photo. Oh, don't. Don't. It looks like it's a dead body. So they've made a fake (gasps) dead body. Of the dead couple's son. son and put it on the bed. We'll put that on our social media. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, the mm. poor things. And they probably thought they were doing the right things. Sometimes I wonder that in... Is that a Jamaican tradition? I don't know. In, you know, at Christmas time when you pull open the Christmas, the bonbon things and there's weird little plastic, you know, things in there. Yes. And I always wonder what do the people in the Chinese factories that are making them, what do they think? So they think, oh, those people in Australia will like this little plastic dice and a joke. Do they read the jokes? It's not offensive, though. (laughs) This is highly (laughs) offensive. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, All right, I'm going to do my story. Frances Lydia Alice Thwaites. It's too many names for one person. She was born in Middlesex. That's where I was born in England in 1867. I'm not that old. Uh, She was known by everyone as Minnie. That was my um, great-grandmother's name. They used to call everyone Minnie. Why would you call someone Frances Lydia Alice Thwaites? Why would you call her Minnie? They called everyone Minnie. Uh, She was a bit of a wild child for those days. She had affairs with men all over town. You can imagine in 1867 that was frowned upon. She embarrassed her parents. Her father was a successful tailor in Chelsea. When she was 20, she jumped on a ship in England and she immigrated to Sydney where she got a job as a servant and a waitress and she married a waiter named Randolph Knorr, a German immigrant. Hello, 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 my sweet it's too Minnie. too exaggerated, but it's not you, bad. Yes, my name is Randolph. You can call me Randy. When you did the first Randolph, it was good. And then I don't, I don't know what happened after that. It's K-N-O-R-R. Um, so those two bought a cafe. They co-managed that. Actually, they didn't buy it. They managed it. It burned down. So they moved to Melbourne. I'm a bit sus about that cafe burning down. But anyway, they moved to Melbourne where she got work as a cook and he got work as a waiter and they had a daughter, Gladys. She was born in 1892. Now, the work, for whatever reason, ran out in Melbourne, so they moved to Port Adelaide in South Australia. And Rudolf started up a scheme where he – honestly, this is not very smart. What he used to do was he would hire furniture but then sell it as though he owned it uh, but it didn't take them very long to catch him, and they jailed him for 18 months. Um, Frances stayed in Port Adelaide for a while. She tried to get some work in a dressmaking factory. Apparently people didn't like her very much, and she was a bit difficult. Um, the South Australian police were after her for at least two crimes, minor things. They described her as age about 25 years, height 5 foot 2, fair complexion, very stout build, What's stout? She'd be quite heavy. Bit Big. Hip, bit hippie? Bit. Yeah. I feel like it's like you're a rectangle. She'd be good size 14, wouldn't she? Stout. Stout. She's only five foot two. Light brown hair. This is the police description. Very large, peculiar shaped mouth. 
very mm. talkative and speaks with a lisp. It's a bit rude of Lisp. So she fled, I mean, there are cops after her, so she fled back to Melbourne with the baby, Gladys, while Rudolph was still in jail in South Australia. So when she got here to Melbourne, she had an affair with a man called Edward Thompson, or Ted, and she lived with him in Pigden Street in Carlton. Uh, they started to fight. He ended the relationship and he moved out, which left Francis alone again with a child to raise. Now, you've got to remember at this time, Australia was in the midst of a depression. There weren't very many jobs around. Um, there were more men than there women. So the men had all been brought here either as convicts or they came here for the gold rush. And so the people, the Australian authorities wanted more women to come here to, to Victoria. They encouraged them to migrate. But then when the women got here, if they couldn't find a husband or if they couldn't find work, they would either turn to thieving things or to prostitution, which meant that there were a lot of unwanted pregnancies. Um, a lot of women who did find a husband, they were abandoned by their husbands or they were widowed, and a lot of them were left to raise babies and children on their own. And, of course, in those days they weren't creches. So a lot of these women would, you know, in order to go off to work, they would leave their children with a family to mind or, in some cases, they would actually foster them out entirely to other families and most more often than not that didn't work out well the, the foster families were horrid and they would get a fee for doing that and so they were often taking the kids just to get the money um, so the mothers would come back to find their kids bruised or emaciated mm. from the foster families so it wasn't very nice and even the child mining people they weren't looking after the kids very well um, children at this time, this is kind of a side note, but kids were allowed to stay with their mothers in jail. So a lot of women were actually oh, deliberately yeah. committing a crime oh. so that they could live together yeah. with their child and be given a meal, meal and a roof over their head. Yeah, that's smart. So around this time... Not really time, smart, but I see the point. Yeah, see why they did it. It's just desperation. Frances Snore set herself up as a baby minder. For some reason in those days they called them baby farmers, which is kind of weird because I just pictured like a paddock... Sounds With like puppy rose. farmer. Well, I was more imagining putting oh. little seeds in the ground. Oh, right. You're like Cabbage Patch Kid. Yes. Oh, and I'm like full-on disturbing puppy farm where there's women just having babies that are kept in cages. Okay, That's great. That's why I love you. This is why you are you and I am me. That's right. <laughs> so Frances was charging women two pounds a week. She would take the money from them up front uh, from the mother and then she would sell the baby to a couple who wanted to adopt. So oh. she was getting the mother off the the money off the mother and getting the money off the parents she was selling it to. Got you. Um, apparently you could get between five pounds and twenty pounds per child. If she couldn't sell a child, she would strangle it. Oh. And then move house. Oh. And sometimes the mothers would come to pick their baby up and there was no trace of Francis or of her child. Frances didn't have a license to run this business, so when some of the mothers found that out, they took their children away That when they found out she didn't have a license. Um, but this all ended up in court, and the court was told that when parting with the babies, uh, some of the mothers never wished to hear of them again. So a lot of mothers were actually, like, dumping the babies and not caring, not mm. having any intention of coming back for them. So Frances Nor, because she was doing this illegally, she kept moving from place to place around Melbourne, Davis Street in Brunswick. She lived for a time in Separation Street in Richmond. Um, the Argus newspaper reported on Saturday the 6th of January 1894, this was on page 10, later at her trial, 
They said it was impossible to know the number of children that had been entrusted to her care. One mother was under 16 years of age when her child was born and was the daughter of a minor upcountry. She gave £15 with the baby and it has not been seen since. So in other words, she handed over her baby and £15. Yeah. Uh, Another child named Crichton was rescued from Francis Knorr by its aunt and it died a month after that. The aunt said that the teat of the feeding bottle that Francis had been using was rotten and stinking. An inquest was held on that child, but there was no blame attached to anyone. Really? Uh, They believe that she had in her possession 12 or 13 infants. Mm between the 8th of April and the time of her arrest in Sydney on the 6th of September. So what's that, April, May, June, July, August, September, about five months, 12 or 13 babies somehow went missing with her. Uh, while Frances was living on Moreland Road in Melbourne, she buried three of her victims in her garden. And then she moved back to Sydney with her husband. And she might have got away with the whole thing, except the new tenant at this house in Moreland Road was doing a little bit of gardening and found the body of a baby girl. So called the police in. The police dug up the rest of the garden and they found the bodies of two boys as well. And so they were able to trace back because Frances Nor had been a tenant. They were able to trace them to her. They arrested her in September 1892. She was still only 23 years old. Mm. doing all of that. Far out. 23 is so young. I know. And all the things she's done in that life. She was described as white and careworn. Mm. They said she probably suffered from epilepsy and she was about to give birth to her second child. She told the arresting officer, and this was in Sydney, I know what you've come for. So she came to trial on the 11th of April, 1893, and she was charged only with the murder of the little girl that they found in the back garden. Mm -hmm. The prosecutor said that she was of very loose habits, immoral character and hardened nature. She admitted burying the babies in Moreland Road, but she said that they had died of natural causes, which was a load of bullshit because they were able to demonstrate she'd, uh, the baby had actually been strangled with a tape, some of which was still around the neck. And they said the neck of one of the little boys that they dug up in the garden had been compressed to less than half its normal size. So she'd squeeze the neck. Yeah. I know. So sad. Um, baby number three had been a fine, healthy baby girl. A cord was tied around her neck and she was found in the backyard in Davis Street, Brunswick. So they'd actually gone to other properties where she'd lived and checked there. Um, Her trial lasted for five days. The mothers of the three babies who had been murdered by her and buried by her each testified that they had trusted their babies to her but they'd never seen them again and one of them collapsed when she was talking and had to be carried Mm. out of the court. Frances said that the baby in the backyard was hers and had died of consumption and that she didn't report it because she didn't think the police would believe her. But the judge said uh, he didn't believe that. He said it was no crime to have a sick child die no matter what your past is, so there was no need to bury the child in secret. So Frances was found guilty. She was sentenced to death and she screamed, God help my poor mother, God help my poor babies. Now, it was kind of the big crime at the of the day and the public became very divided on her sentence, on the death sentence. Some were quite sympathetic as to the position she mm. got herself into um, and there was this massive anti-capital punishment protest at the time. There was about more than 600 people marched on the state parliament 
and they said that the hanging of a woman would disgrace the colony. So the governor listened to them, but he basically said to them, unless you can bring me some new evidence, we're going to go ahead with this hanging as planned. Mm. And there was no evidence, so the death sentence stood. Now, the state's hangman at that time was a man called Thomas Jones. His wife was among these people who were anti-capital punishment and you know, we'll never know the absolute truth, but it's said that she was so upset with him that he was going to be the one who would hang Francis Knorr that um, he took it so hard he actually committed suicide two days before the execution. So they had to find themselves another executioner. Um, as Francis was about to go to the gallows, she confessed and she wrote her confession. She said, placed as I am now within a few hours of my death, I express a strong desire that this statement be made public with the hope that my fall will not only be a warning to others, but also act as a deterrent to those who are perhaps carrying on the same practice. Um, Rudolph, her husband, uh, he visited her in jail as much as he could up until she was taken to be to be hanged. Mm. Um, the last contact they were able to have was he was able to shake her hand through the bars of oh. her prison cell. Yeah, that was it. He uh, should feel bad for her because she's a fuck up. But. I know, but you can kind of see how it happened. Yeah. Um, the newspaper Sad. reported Nor at last tore himself away and rushed out of the jail with great big manly tears of sorrow coursing down his cheeks. For fully an hour after his departure, the condemned woman paced her cell, sobbing violently. Um, mm. He next morning, sorry, the next morning, she wrote a letter to her mother back in England, and then she had apparently a hearty breakfast. Of ordinary prison fare, what would that have been, do you reckon? Slop. Porridge? Yeah. Uh, what would they have? Don't know. Nothing good. They also reported, and I found this a bit strange, stimulants were offered to her but refused. Stimulants? Bit of ecky or something, or what are they giving her? want a downer, not an upper. I don't I'd know. I want a downer. Bit of ice or something. What? At 9am, she was taken to the gallows. 1,500 people had gathered outside wow. Pentridge Prison to stand vigil. The hangman, and now this I would have loved to have seen, the hangman and his assistant wore disguises. They wore fake beards that apparently were like blatantly <laughs> false. they didn't want to hang a woman? Well, yes, and they didn't yeah. want to because the public would come after them, the, the pressure of it. Um, yes, they wore what was reported as patently bogus fake beards. Um, and then I'll read to you from the Argus. The rope, well greased and ready for the ghastly work, hung down its treacherous length from a beam, scarred and serried by the drop of a score of victims. So the bit of wood that the mm. rope hangs from had all marks on. Ooh. With a firm step, she crossed the narrow space and stood on the fatal trap. Her face was pale, but her head was firmly erect. <laughs> Sounds like a penis. <laughs> You're a grown woman. Her hair was neatly rolled up on the top of her head and surmounted with the hideous white cap. That's a bit judgmental. Don't be judging her fashion choices. Yeah, I know. You don't want to be judged in that moment. She was clad in a plain, wincy dress. I wonder what that is. Probably just like some sort of rough fabric. Yeah. A plain, wincy dress made specially for the occasion. They tied the bottom of her dress with a string and put lead weights in it so it wouldn't catch on the platform when she dropped oh, down through okay. the hole. Bit of dignity. Or show her knickers. Yeah, Why right. were they worried about that at that time? Her final words were... 
I do not care what men can do for me. I have peace, perfect peace. So Roberts, in his disguise, pulled the lever. She dropped seven feet, six inches. And for a moment, she just hung there suspended with everyone staring at her. There was no convulsive twitching of the legs. Death was recorded as instantaneous. Uh, This was the first execution of a woman in Victoria since 1863, which was 31 years earlier. And her death mask is on display at the old Melbourne jail. A few years later, there was a Royal Commission in 1893. Melbourne's public health officer testified that post-mortems he had performed on over 500 children showed that more than half of them had been murdered. Mm. Not by Francis, obviously, but by other baby farmers. So it was incredibly common practice. And then... Four years after the death of Francis in 1898, I don't know why I just called her Francis and not Francis, the way I've been saying it. I just became Mm. toffee all of a sudden. Francis. The Infant Life Protection Act became law, which meant that the names of children who were kept in care had to be lodged in a central book along with the date that they were entered and when they were picked up by their parents along with any information on any illnesses and stuff. And councils were told to monitor child minders and police started doing spot checks to make sure that it never happened again. Good. And rightly so. And rightly so. Murder. Okay. (laughs) Feedback. This is from Anonymous. I never tire of it. I never do. I wonder if I'll get sick of it at some point. I'm convinced it's sounding more and more like that on the news. Anyway, Um, Anonymous, because this person is a police officer. Okay. He says, hi, ladies, first, nice things, nice things. She goes on to say, if I'm so fortunate to have my stories included on the podcast. Oh, is it regarded as a thing? Yeah, fortunate. It's good fortune. The power we have, Chanel. I'm currently listening to episode 37 and Chanel has been mentioning the unidentified remains at the coroner's court, Mm -hmm. all the bones being handed in. It suddenly occurred to me that it might be unusual that I've been reading coroner's findings online since I was about 18 or 19. Um, That's unusual. It is. It's so good, though. It's so intriguing. I know because I so took the ones you had on there. and I sat there and read yes. them. All. Yes, there's so many it. deaths on there that you don't ever hear about because like we're not going to report a guy who fell off a pier. I'm just making this up. Yeah. and drowned. Yeah, that might not get mentioned in the news, but there'll be a whole coroner's report on it. You can see about his whole life. It's amazing. Love it. Um, she said she's now almost 25. I can't remember how I stumbled upon the website, but it's so interesting. I love checking regularly for new findings to read. And you can literally just go on there. The Coroner's Court of Victoria, you click reports, they're all there. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, she says, I'm a police officer. I'm only new to the job and have been working for almost two years now. She says she's so far only seen two dead bodies. And she says she remembers her first one like it was yesterday. My colleague and I arrived at the home of an elderly male who had passed away peacefully and was discovered the next day by tradesmen. My sergeant was already at the house and I told him I'd never seen a dead body before. He said to me, it's a nice, easy one and he just looks like he's sleeping on the floor. That's kind of nice of her sergeant to say that. Yeah. Easing her into it. If he's telling the truth. Well, no, I think he was. The paramedics had been and gone after pronouncing him deceased. And sure enough, I walked in and there he was laying on the ground by the couch. I immediately thought, what can I do so I don't freak out? And got to work trying to find his doctor's details so he could try and get a death certificate signed much easier than going through the process of getting him to the coroner's court. I found his doctor's details and rang and spoke to him. The doctor was willing to sign the death certificate but wanted to examine the body first. The only issue was he was in the middle of consulting 
and wouldn't be free for two hours. Oh, I'm, I'm busy. I'll get down there to the bod soon, but I'm busy. Well, we got some alive patients to deal with. It, well, that's exactly He's not right. going anywhere. Yeah. She said, my colleague and I had to sit in the house with the deceased male for almost two hours waiting for the doctor. I did what any well-prepared police officer would do and grabbed my snack bag and my puzzle books from the car and sat in an armchair next to the man doing Sudokus and crosswords until the doctor arrived. I love Sudoku. But you'd have to do that. What else would you do? You couldn't sit next to him and just look do at his face. Do you prefer crosswords with words or I can't Sudoku do, I can't numbers. do Sudoku. I can't, I can't do it. Really? Yeah, I'm a journo. My brain is only programmed to use words. I cannot do numbers. I'm not great with numbers, but I love Sudoku. I feel like my tax agent could be ripping me off every year and I would have no idea even how to check that. Where is he? In the Bahamas on your dime? Probably. Probably. We need to sort that out. I don't know numbers. Can't do them at all. I'm stupid with numbers. Really good with words, though. Anyway, she says, love the podcast, You've ladies. Got Keep looks, up the good work. You've got your good <laughs> No, looks. I can do words. I'm spectacular with words. I can write a great script, write a speech, whatever you want. Really good. Just numbers, can't do them. Same. I'm going to do one point. more feedback because we love your feedback. Thank you. And can I just say sorry to that? There's there's quite a few mm. responses and things, and um, we are trying to in- include as many as we can in our podcast. But obviously, we don't want to go on for have six hour episodes. But we will try and get most people in. Uh, this one is from – so what I'm saying is sorry if we haven't used your feedback, your messages, but um, we'll try to get to everyone. Hi, Jason. Jason on Facebook said, good afternoon, ladies. Nice things, nice things. Let me say – I did the wet noise. I think it's me. Is it? Yep. Okay. Let me start by saying that the hater who complained about the lip or mouth noises, oh, there you oh. are right there, was certainly outmatched by your use of the word moist. My mother hates the word moist. So do I. Moist. There's no need for it. It and could be scratched out of the English language and moist. it wouldn't matter. If moist. you get rid of a word like and, we're screwed. How would you describe cakes? Delicious. Cake. No, moist. No, delicious. Moist cake. I hate it. Do you know the other word my mum hates? I think of... Well, there's ugh. two. She hates pus and Pus is hates... okay. What other word is there for pus? There's no other word. You need it. And roomy. And I don't mean like with lots of room. It would be in like um, an old man. He had roomy blue eyes. It means watery and sort of... I've told you my most hated word. Oh, I've forgotten. Panties. Oh, it's... Horrible. It's so horrible. That's terrible. It's only a word used by a pedophile. I'm just saying, Kirsten's lost it, but I'm, it, it is. All right. No one this ever two says, words like, together. In what, in what are yeah. you saying? Like, oh, I need to go buy some panties. No. No one is saying no that. One no that. one's saying that. You're saying, Don't. like, underwear, undergarments. It's sex predators that use yeah. the word panties. They do. Uh, Jason, let's get back to you. Uh, shit, I laughed, says Jason, and then we all laughed. Oh, who's he listening with? He's got multiple personalities, perhaps. I do love your podcast and tell people to listen to it. On you, Jace. To the person that complained about the pre-story stuff that lasted for 10 minutes, Jason's just going into bat for us on everything. He is. I like him. This is good. He's got our good. back. He's good. Our, he's our defence lawyer. That is the part that I enjoy as much as the stories. Most podcasts just get into it and onto the story, whereas you two, or really three ladies, there you are, Kirsten. Yes. Uh, are real and have personality and show us that. Keep up the great work. Uh, as I've previously stated, never seen a dead body, but as a kid, a oh. friend of mine told me this story. Oh. A family friend of his was visiting the family. 
one of her babies. That's what a family friend does. Yep. And then said goodbye and headed off on his motorcycle. Uh-uh. Oh, no. He He's did a U-turn die. and was hit by a car and fell from the bike. He sat against a pole and had a cigarette oh. when they noticed blood dripping down his face from under the helmet. Oh, no. He took the helmet off. Oh, no. And his head opened up <gasps> and he died. In essence, the helmet was keeping him alive. Not sure if you have heard of any stories like this. Chanel in particular, Jason. Oh, my God, Jason. Do you know what? I think I've, I've seen a dead body, but just before it was dead. It's only just come back to me. I compartmentalize. I, I, if something's Hold awful. Hold on, wait, we're dealing with okay. too many factors at once. Yes. Okay. Anything, anything more in Jason? Because I have to get I, to my story. I feel like that could happen. I think that could be real. So my husband and I, I would have been 18, were driving along. He was driving and a car, a guy in a car had just hit a tree. This is in Baxter, near where I grew up. Yeah. And he had, this is back in the days before seatbelts and cars were made of steel and clunk going. Anyway, he had um, hit his head on the steering wheel and his head was kind, it was kind of embedded in his forehead. And so panic, panic, no mobile phones. I can't remember what we did. I think a car came along and we said to them, quick, go and get help. We stayed with the guy. My husband reached into the car. How have I forgotten this? How have I, have I not told you this? This I is, I'm, this is another situation. I'm doing that thing again where it just comes out. Why do you do this? Because when bad things happen to me, and there's been a few things, I put you them away. You just forget away. them. Well, I don't necessarily forget them, but I just... Shell, I, I hide them. Like so, the friend rapist murderer that you just decided not to tell us about that time. I told you in the end. So Kieran sort of reached into the car and I seem to remember him somehow crouching over the guy and pulling the steering wheel back off of the Ooh. guy's head because we're thinking, you know, the steering wheel's crushing his head. He killed him. Kieran was pulling, exactly, pulling the steering wheel off of the guy's head. Kieran the killer. And I remember the guy then flopped back <gasps> in his seat. He was still alive, though. He was breathing, but there was a lot of blood. God. And this, I don't know how long that went on for, but then an ambulance came along and we left. Yeah. Um, and I can remember read, try, you know, getting the paper for the next week or so and just looking through and trying to see if there was a story. A man that... and a woman who <laughs> – police are looking for a man and a woman after they assisted oh, a motorbike don't. rider during a crash. We thought we were doing the right thing. I'll ask Kieran for one of our future episodes. Um, whether... I have just Googled, but, but I though. Think, I think he may have died, yeah. Um, and someone has this written on a motorbike. I know I'm really good at Googling too. Nicholas tried to Google something the other night and he goes, nothing's coming up. And I can't even remember what he was Googling, but I looked and I was like, that's what you typed into Google to get your answer. Oh, he was trying to make overnight oats <laughs> and he Googled, he wrote, um, rolled oats. No, no, <laughs> That's no. how he Googled. He you, opened you Googled put, and At he least wrote, put the word soak or right? something. Recipe, something. He just Googled <laughs> rolled oats and I was just, I, I was beside myself. Anyway, I just put, the, put cold water. So this is on yeah. a motorbike forum and someone has written, if you are assisting a biker who has been in an accident, please always leave their helmet on. Oh. They might have head injuries that will be increased or even cause their death if the helmet is removed. Never do this. Wow. Yeah. Jason. Jason. That's what happened. That's amazing and it's true. So it stands to reason that, well, we thought we were helping 
And but in hindsight, like it was later, people said, "Oh, you shouldn't have touched him." But we were, we thought we we're helping because he was like being crushed. We were going, "Oh, quick, get that off him!" Do you think I never read anything? I don't know if he died or not. I Police are on the lookout for a blonde woman and a <laughs> we tried to help. who were seen running from the scene of a crash. Coming in sand, we'd been down the surf all day. Oh, it is terrible. Though. It is terrible. Yeah, we would like to hear your dead body stories. Have your you seen... terrible dead body stories. Have you seen a dead body? Maybe someone told it to you, like Jason's friend did. Um, I was going to give out the number just then that I give out when I'm on air, which is ridiculous because it's not relevant to this podcast at all. <laughs> Habit. Please uh, call the radio station where, where we work. record this and say I have dead body stories, particularly do it around 8.30, Monday to Friday. Deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Could you imagine if Neil was getting all these dead body stories? <laughs> I knew he didn't have I want to speak to Dee Dee and Chanel. Is Dee Dee there? No, Dee Dee's on the weekend. Dead Bodies is created by Dee Dee Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>